still remember the Baggett family business, Carolyn. And also uh, the Dinwiddie family, uh, my man up front, she also likes to see
on my mind this morning is forgiveness. Um, I know we touched on that briefly uh, as we were going through the Sermon on the Mount. So, kids, y'all know when y'all have to write a paper, you got to answer some questions, right? Who, what, when, where, how. Well, that's what I want to kind of flesh out the topic of forgiveness and look throughout the other scriptures that mention it. So, forgiveness questions. Who who deserves it? Not us. <laughs> <laughs> what is it? When do we apply it? Not as between God and us, but as between us and fellow man. Why? Why do we apply it? Get him take care of both fish. Thank you. How often or another way to put it is is there a limit? Forgiveness. Who deserves it? What is it? When do we apply it? Why? And how often? So as with anything we do, we kind of want to define the words that we're talking about. There are actually two different Greek words that are translated forgiveness in the New Testament. Okay? The first one, um, Strong's number is 863 if you want to look it up. It has an idea of letting go. But not just generally letting go. 
Sometimes we'll say that to somebody and kind of have a little chip on our shoulder. Just let it go. This letting go means to, to let go from an obligation. To release, it can be used as a literal term for a release of a literal debt. Okay. When I worked at the trucking company and we had to sue people who didn't pay their freight bills, um, you know, we hauled your Caterpillar tractor across the country and you decided you didn't want to pay. That was part of my job was to send you a little lawsuit and encourage you to pay. Sometimes folks just didn't have it. And for little things, two, three hundred dollars, it wasn't worth the time and energy and money to pursue it. And so we would talk to the money folks and say, this is one you need to just write off. You need to let it go. Did those folks ever pay us? Very rarely. <laughs> but if they did, it would have had to have been voluntary. But we were making a decision to let that debt go. We weren't going to pursue it anymore. We weren't going to carry it on the books. We weren't going to think about it any farther. It's just gone. This is the word that's used in Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18, Jesus is given a parable. There you go. There's Mama. It's all right. We're doing fine. And so in Matthew chapter 18, down in verse 27, just give you the backstory and the parable. Um, well, it actually has to do with one of the other questions. Peter asked the Lord, How often do I have to forgive my brother? Paraphrasing. How often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? And Peter kind of goes out on a limb and says, Till seven times? Sometimes folks do us wrong. We kind of want to have the one and done mentality, right? So Peter's he's, he's kind of going above, right? Seven times. But Jesus answered, I say not unto thee until seven times. He says, no, that's not enough. But until seventy times seven. All right. Boys, y'all learn multiplication. Seventy times seven is four hundred and ninety. I don't know about y'all, but I don't keep records that well. Once you get above a hundred, two hundred times, I've really forgotten and <laughs> moved on. So the idea is there's, there's not really a limit. That's one of our questions. No, there's not a limit. But to illustrate that point, he gives a parable. And the parable is there's this kingdom. And there's a Lord who starts taking account of his servants. And there's some servants who owe him a great deal of money. One in particular owes him 10,000 talents. Right, we don't use the term talents. We were learning about that weight when we're talking about the value of the tabernacle. Right? But for our illustration, it's more money than you could earn. Right? If you spend a lifetime earning, it's more than that. So let's just, for our illustration, let's just say a billion dollars. You got hauled before the king and he says, I loaned you a billion dollars over all these years. I want it back. And that man didn't have it. So the king said, you're going to be sold. Sell you, get what value I can for your labor. I'll sell your wife, I'll sell your children, and all your property, and whatever else I can get to make payment on that debt. And that servant fell down before his Lord and worshipped him, begging him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, I'll pay thee all. He said, just give me time. 
Give me time and I'll pay you. But rather than just giving him time, the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion, loosed him. He was already bound up. right? He was already in chains. He let him go free and forgave him the debt. He didn't say, okay, make it up to me. He let it go completely. He relinquished him of that debt. Now, we'll continue on with the rest of this. Of What does this servant do? Does he go and show mercy to his fellow servants in the same way? No. He goes out and finds someone else that owes him. And he puts his hands around his throat. He says, that dollar you owe me, you pay it me, or I'm going to throw you in jail. And what does that guy do? He falls on his feet. He says, I don't have it. But give me time, and I'll pay you. And I'm paraphrasing. You'll go read word for word. Just give me time. The same thing that he asked the king a minute ago. This servant's now asking him. But would he give him time? Nope. He had him thrown in jail. Debtor's prison. Till he could pay the debt. It was a very, very small debt. You know, a hundred pence. Compared to 10,000 talents. Like a dollar, maybe a hundred dollars versus a billion. All this debt was wiped out just a moment ago, and this guy who owes you, you're going to put your hands around his throat and throw him into jail. He should have forgiven him. Right? That's what. That's, that's the obvious lesson here is that he should have forgiven and let it go. Well, his fellow servants heard about it, and they go tell the king. That servant that you let go of all that debt, you released him from? Do you know what he did? So that Lord calls him back and says, You're a wicked servant. I forgave you all that debt because thou desirest me. Should not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors. So this was not just ordinary jail where you sit there. This was an unpleasant process. He delivered him to the tormentors till he would pay all that was due unto him. So there's your parable. What's it all mean? Verse 35. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also to you, if ye from your hearts forgive not everyone his brother their trespasses. Alright? So in this parable, the one who's been forgiven the billion, who is that? Us. Us. Me. You were that wicked servant. Because what has been forgiven us? A lifetime of sin and disobedience and rebellion against God. God's the king here. And he freely forgave it us. Now that debt was was actually paid by Christ. But as from us, he didn't take it out of us or our hide. He gave his son to reconcile you, to bring you from a state of debt that you could never repay, of unrighteousness and wickedness and sin, and He put that on His Son and He paid it for you. And so you have been released. The mountain of sins and offenses that I have accumulated already in my life, and as long as I continue to live, I'm going to continue to accumulate. Because I don't know about y'all, but... All the perfect people in here, raise your hand. 
Right? We better sit on them. <laughs> right? I'm going to continue to accumulate. I don't, I don't want to. I don't want to actively, but I am a sinful creature. And I will make mistakes. But Christ paid for those too. And I've been forgiven those too. So, you have this incomprehensible amount of error and sin and transgression against the Almighty God of the universe that have been put away. And then I turn around after being forgiven all that and I hold something against my brother because he did something to me that I don't like. Brother Terry didn't do anything to me. He's just right here. (laughs) When we don't forgive and, and let it go, to release others from their... I'm not saying they didn't do something wrong. But I'm saying that what we did to God was far worse in number and magnitude and lifetime. And so, that's the pattern that we're given. If God has freely forgiven you a lifetime of debt for Christ's sake, you are to likewise forgive, to let go to release the trespasses and sins against you that you holding that you're holding against other people. Okay? So, in Matthew chapter 6, that's what's expressed in Matthew 6 and 12, back in the Sermon of the Mount. Jesus is given the model prayer. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. So he's our God, and he's our Father, and his name is holy. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts. Who are our debts against? God. We're not going to God and talking about chapter 11 and trying to get rid of our our financial woes. This is our sins and trespasses against Him. How have I sinned against God today? So I'm going to Him in prayer. The end is I'm laying my head down to sleep. Lord, forgive me these debts. What's that clause that comes right after it? As we forgive our debtors. And then an explanation down in 14 says, For... If you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses. And so that those words, forgive there, it's that same word. To let go, you're writing off, you're releasing somebody from that penalty. You're not requiring repayment to pardon to release the wrongdoer, to remit from the penalty. Uh, y'all want to get hyper-technical? Who likes grammar? <laughs> Mainly, my wife loves grammar. So in the Greek grammar, this, is, this, this forgive is a verb. You know what verbs do? They do things. <laughs> As an action, right? It's something that must be done. The tense is present. Now... <laughs> It's active, active verb, yeah. And its mood is indicative. And this is fun, I had to look this up for the Greek. Indicative mood in Biblical Greek means it is a statement of fact. 
Okay, This is not something that's one and done. It's not something that I'll get to around eventually when I cool off. It is something that you do now. Actively. And it's a statement of fact that you, you, you must do it. Okay? To forgive. Forgive men their trespasses. Um, if you forgive men their trespasses, your Heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Heavenly Father forgive your trespasses. Now, we probably mentioned this when we went through this earlier, but I want to clarify. When Christ died on the cross for all of His children, all of their sins for all time were paid for. And in that context, they are forgiven. Period. Full stop. Okay? You cannot undo what Jesus did. He said it is finished one of the words that he said when he was hanging on the cross. It's finished as God put those sins upon him and then he died for you. They were put away. That's, that's reality. That's true for every single one of his children for all time. Okay? Okay, so how do you reconcile it with this verse where there's ifs? In our day-to-day walk with the Lord, we do continue to sin. Agreed? And when we are actively being disobedient to God, there's a separation that we feel. Okay? God doesn't change. We agree? God is, God is unchangeable. He doesn't go away. But when we rebel, we draw back. And we don't feel the closeness of that relationship. Is He still our Heavenly Father? Yes. Yes. Y'all ever had strain with a loved one where they're still your loved one, but you feel a little bit more distant from them, right? And so this is talking about that reconciliation that we have on a daily basis where we come back, we admit our faults to God because we're to confess our faults to God. Do you know whose benefit that's for? Not for God's. He already knows. Right? He knows all. You're not going to pray and to tell Him anything new, but for us to acknowledge, Father, I was wrong. Right? Y'all ever had a kid come to you and they say those words? Whatever had been straining you beforehand as this child is rebelling against you, it's much easier to interact with them after they've had that humble experience. Father, I was wrong. And so if you're going to God in prayer and you're praying to Him, and you're trying to reconcile, and yet you're still bent out out of shape over what someone did to you, you're still actively sinning. You're rebelling against the commandment of God to forgive. You're trying to hold something over somebody when He's told you to release it. Okay, That's why you won't experience the forgiveness then because you won't experience that closeness with God as long as you're still actively... You ever had a kid come up to you? I'm sorry! Do you believe the little joker? Me neither. I was that little kid, right? (laughs) Didn't mean to do it. Which translates to, I'm really sorry I got caught. Can we end this conversation, right? Sometimes when we're praying to God, 
Lord, forgive me how I messed up, but I really would like it if you'd take out so-and-so. We're not really coming to Him in the right attitude of humility and recognizing that, Father, You've forgiven me so much! And this wrong over here, I feel like I'm entitled to hold it when You let all this go. Okay? Do we see the magnitude? So if we're coming to the Lord in humility and recognizing what He's done for us, how He's redeemed our souls by the price of His Son's blood, is there anything we really can't forgive? No. For His sake. Alright, so that's one word. The other word um, is found in Ephesians 4.32. If you want to go to it. It doesn't have the same root of letting go. But it is a form of a root word that's translated to grace. Grace. Ephesians 4.32. We'll read 31.32. It says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Alright, so again, if we're going to the Lord in prayer and we're bitter and we're angry and we're gritting our teeth and we're wrath and we're wrathful about what somebody's done, we've already we're defying him. He's told us to put that away. But be ye kind one to another, tender hearted, forgiving one another. Alright, so that word forgiving, the root word is grace. Um, got a New Testament word study dictionary. Give some longer di- uh, definitions. Just ordered one for the Old Testament the other day, so I haven't got a chance to play with that one yet. But this is the definition they give for grace. The absolute free expression of the loving kindness of God to men, finding its only motivation in the bounty and the benevolence of the giver. It's kind of a big definition. Want a simple one? Unearned or unmerited favor. You scratch my back, I scratch your back. That ain't grace. Grace is you did nothing to deserve it and God was still good to you. Okay? That's the root word for forgive here. Except for rather than being a noun, which is what grace is generally translated, um, this word's a verb. A doing thing, right? Um, Grammar, present tense. Um, It's a participle. Participles? Me neither. I have to look this stuff up. Um, it means ongoing action. We're continually, without stop, because we're all still sinners, right? Forgiving one another. And the context of this is within the church. This is how that we live a unified life, but this is true in all our, all our relationships, is that we are forgiving one another. It's an ongoing showing of unearned favor. Grace. So one definition is the the letting go of the debt. Letting that penalty go, not requiring repayment. And the other is showing favor unearned. Forgiving one another. To show someone undeserved favor. Go back to Matthew chapter 5, 44. Matthew chapter 5 and 44 and the question of, well, who's, who's worthy? 
of undeserved favor. Everybody. Because you're not counting their merits before you give it out. <coughs> Matthew 5 and 44 says, But this I say unto you, love your enemies. Jesus, you got some hard teachings. This is a hard saying. Yeah, it is. This is what makes you different as a follower of Christ in the world. The world likes the people who like them. Duh. But he's called you to something harder. Love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Y'all ever been cursed at? Was blessing somebody your initial response? Your carnal response is pretty quick, right? It's like a drag race. Sometimes it takes a little bit. <laughs> you have to put that on pause and think a minute. But we're called to bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. Do good. That's another. These are all active, right? Love, bless, do good, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you that ye may be children of your Father, which is in heaven. For he maketh the sun to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. God merciful in many ways to everybody. In many ways. So that's our pattern. And just as an aside, okay, I have to pray for my enemy. What do I pray for? Sometimes in my carnal self, I pray, well... Lord, you said vengeance is yours. I pray that you'd have some vengeance. I don't think that's what's intended. How does Paul often start and end his letters? He prays for generally three things. Grace, mercy, and peace. We use those words a lot, but what do they really mean? Well, we just talked about grace a little bit, right? Unmerited favor. I'm praying that God would bestow upon you in whatever form He chooses favor and kindness undeserved. Sometimes we kind of get real specific with God. God, I'd like you to do this. But when you're praying for grace, it's, Lord, I'm trusting you with how it needs to be arranged, but Lord, I'm lifting up this person that you would bless them with favor and kindness undeserved. Father, we know we're not worthy. But Father, we don't stand before You because we're worthy. We stand before You because of the love that You put upon us and because of the work of Jesus Christ who You see us through Him and He's worthy and therefore through Him we are worthy. So receive, praying for grace. Father, bless them with grace to receive whatever form of kindness and compassion that He wants to show undeserved. So that's that's one. Grace. Two, mercy. I think about mercy, I think about generally the withholding of something that you do deserve. Y'all ever had consequences that really should come down on your head and yet it kind of passed? Sometimes we need the Lord to withhold the ill or harm or injury that may be deserved. I'm not talking about deserving the wrath of God as judgment for our sins. 
Christ has paid that in full. But sometimes we do really dumb things. And sometimes the Lord spares us even those consequences. Sometimes He doesn't. Sometimes He uses it as a teaching moment. I've ever had teaching moments. I've experienced some of those with the Lord of where He's going to chase in my behind until I don't do that again. Right? So I learn. But a withholding of ill or harm or injury, um, think of this as, as, as also general protection. Mercy. Father, be merciful. Be compassionate upon this person. And finally, so grace. So what's kind of a positive, right? Bless us with grace. Mercy. Withhold those things we don't need, even if we do deserve them. And the third one is, is peace. Peace. Peace is the... Well, that could be the internal peace. An internal peace between you and God. Internal peace between you and the folks around you. Y'all ever get around some folks and there's just no peace in that home or in that family or extended family. It's just all turmoil and strife and chaos. We should pray for peace. We're called as followers of God to pursue peace. To seek after it and ensue it. And see that it happens. We're to be peacemakers. So we should be praying for, for peace. And that peace that God can give allows you to be calm, to be joyful, to be content regardless of the storm that's going on outside. Okay? This is not saying, Lord, take away all my trials. You're going to have them. Without a doubt. But how do I have to go through them? If I'm going through them in a close walk with the Lord, they're really not that bad. Say, Preacher, you don't know what I've been through. I'm not saying they're not bad. They don't feel that bad. <laughs> Scripture talks about the weight of the glory that's waiting for us. The inheritance that's prepared. The value, the splendor. How wonderful it is when compared to all the trials and afflictions you'll experience over your whole life. It says they're not even worthy to be compared. It's like .0000001 in infinity. Bigger than you can imagine and next to nothing. They can hurt while you're going through them. I'm not, not discounting that. I'm not, not pie-in-the-sky rose-colored glasses. But when you're walking close to the Lord and you've got peace with Him, it's a very different experience than when you're trying to do it on your own and you're wandering from Him or you're openly rebelling from Him. So what can you pray? Pray for grace. Pray for mercy and pray for peace. And, and with, with specificity. Okay? So, we've answered some of our questions. Right? What is it? Who's it for? How often? Bigger one's probably the why. Colossians 3. Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. Colossians 3, 12 and 13. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, Holy and beloved. Now the verse before this is saying that y'all are all one. There's not this difference 
by uh, race or by your nationality or whether you're even a slave or a free person, that you're all one in the family of God, in Christ's family. All right? Because of that, we're to do some things that we may follow after Him and mirror Him in what He does. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, as the chosen of God. You know that? God chose you. He knew you before you ever existed, before the world existed. He knew you and loved you and put His love upon you. The elect of God. Sometimes folks get that work, try, reverse that and try and say, well, 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 we elect God. No. That's like saying the president votes for us. It don't work that way. All right? Put on therefore as the elect of God, the chosen of God, holy and beloved. How are you holy? Because of Christ's work, He's made you holy. By nature are we holy? No. We've got sinful natures thanks to our original father, Adam. Right? He and his wife fell in the garden and in dying they died. Right? Immediately began to die and eventually 900 something years later they naturally died. And every single child that's been born since then has been conceived with that same sinful nature and without a relationship spiritually with the Lord. And the only thing that changes that is the Lord. When He intervenes, when He sends His Holy Spirit into you and gives you new birth, right? And you become a new creature created unto good works. And so this is what it's describing there. It's that new creature. Put on therefore as the elect of God. You're the elect. You're born again. You're a child of God. You're holy. You're beloved. Put on bowels of mercy. Bowels were Greek times thought about as the seat of emotion. We, we, we tend to think about hearts rather than intestines. But it's, it's all imagery. Mercy. Put on mercy. Y'all, do we get hard-hearted sometimes? I do. It's easy. Particularly when you get burned, right? Oh no, I'm not going to get burned again. Put on bowels of mercy. Kindness. Humbleness of mind, right? Humble yourself before the Lord and He'll lift you up. Humble yourself before the Lord and He'll exalt you in His good time. Meekness. Gentleness. Long-suffering. A little bit different than just patience, right? Long-suffering. And immediately after that, forgiving one another. Forbearing one another and forgiving one another. Excuse me. Forbearing. Bearing each other's burdens. Bearing with each other. Forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any... Even as Christ forgave you, so also do you. So, why do we have to forgive? One, He told us to. Like, straight up. It's a command. Do it. But even more than that, it's because that's the pattern that we have in following Christ. Christ, God for Christ's sake, forgave you. And so we're called to do likewise. Again, you remember how much has He forgiven you? More than you can count. 
And so in comparison to that, the worst ill that you've received from man, you can forgive it. You can let it go. You can release that debt or penalty. You know? You know, I think I already mentioned this, but that question of is there a limit? No. There's not. Over in Luke chapter 17 and 34, someone would ask, well, what if it was seven times in one day? Continue to forgive. Now, I'm going to make a note here and say that there is a big difference between forgiveness and trust. Sometimes those terms are used interchangeably, and that ain't so. Okay? Well, you said you forgive me. Why don't you trust me? Well, forgiveness is immediate. And it's without consideration of the person involved or whether they're deserving of it. It's given, right? Unmerited kindness, it's given. Trust is earned. It's a recognition that there has been a change in behavior over a period of time. And that changed behavior is good. <laughs> right? If you've got changed behavior and it's still sorry, that doesn't make it better. Right? So trust is earned over a period of time by recognizing there's been a change. Right? To rebuild trust requires that other person to have repentance. Okay? Genuine repentance. Godly sorrow. Look back at Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, and I want verses 3 through 8. It says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Do you not want to know what godly repentance looks like? These verses. One who recognizes their sin is going to be poor in spirit. Recognizing that I have sinned. I have transgressed. And there will be mourning for their sin. Sorry not that I got caught, but sorry that I've sinned against God and I've sinned against you. Meek. Humble. Gentle and desiring earnestly righteousness. This is what godly repentance looks like. This is very, very different than worldly repentance where you're still proud and arrogant and mad that someone would dare bring up your tri- your crime. Alright? Oh, Jerry, your phone's going off. Um... You may mourn when you've got worldly repentance, but you're mourning for the consequences of sin. It's the equivalent of the kid of, I'm sorry I got caught because now i got to do chores or cut the grass or whatever. I'm not sorry that I made the initial transgression. Worldly repentance just has a desire to move on. Don't bring that up. I don't want to talk about that. You said you forgave me. And often, worldly repentance demands other people's forgiveness and trust. Well, why don't you just trust me? 
you haven't demonstrated trustworthy behaviors why I don't trust you. But you see the difference in the tone and the tenor, and I've even got my shoulders up, right? I've just it's defiant. That's not godly sorrow. That's not true repentance. And so you may recognize that in other people, but I'm more interested in you. <laughs> recognize it in yourself. If you're telling somebody I'm sorry and I want to reconcile, but you're still a boat up and you don't really want to mourn over that sin itself, go spend some time with the Lord. <laughs> right? We're still actively rebelling against Him. Okay? We need to be poor in spirit and humble and meek. Because guess what? We make mistakes. We sin. If we can't acknowledge that, we're living with our head in the sand. But there's a difference between just acknowledging it and then not changing any behavior. Right? One says, I'm sorry-ish. And the other says, I'm sorry. I want that hunger and thirst for righteousness. That's what we need. I want to do better. I want to please the Lord. I want to be in His service. I want to be faithful to His kingdom. That's godly repentance and sorrow. That's a sorrow that you don't later forget about five minutes later. The other is just an act. I just want to move on. Alright? So when you fail to forgive, you're in a state of rebellion. Right? Well, God, I just can't forgive them. They've done me too wrong. You are a rebel. And rebellion is never mentioned in a positive sense in Scripture. Okay? It's equated to the sin of witchcraft. Would y'all be very uncomfortable if somebody in here started drawing a little seance circle on the floor and cutting off some heads of some chickens? Y'all be berserk, right? I'd be very upset if somebody's trying to practice witchcraft in front of me. But are you okay with rebellion? We tend to allow it in ourselves. We should be that disgusted and abhorred with it. Lord, humble myself. Allow me. Help me. I will humble myself to submit to Your Word and Your will in all things, even when it comes to forgiveness. If you want to draw close to the Lord, it says, if you love me, keep my commandments. The foolish man's heard the commandments and then doesn't do it. Right? He's the one who's built his house on the sand. When you want to remain in that state of anger and frustration and grievance holding, right? That definition of love was keeping no record of wrongs, right? Well, when we're in rebellion, Lord, I got my list. Like Santa, I can check it twice. This person's done this, and this person's done this, and this person's done this, and I'm just stewing over it. Right? I'm saying I love myself and my anger and my grievance more than I love God. It's become an idol for me. He told me that if I love Him... I'll keep His commandments. And He's commanded me to forgive, to let it go, and to show unmerited grace and favor. 
Not only that, when you fail to forgive, you're inviting Satan into your house, into your life. We're instructed to give no place for the devil. If you're holding on to anger and bitterness and wrath and unforgiveness, you're basically leaving the front door open for the gnats and Satan too. Hebrews 12, 14 through 16. Fourteen through fifteen. Follow peace with all. All that agree with me, or look like me, or let me have my way. Oh. Follow peace with all men and holiness. So you're following peace and you're following holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. Looking diligently, being on the alert, being on guard lest any man fail of the grace of the Lord. What's that standard that the Lord's given here? Lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. A root of bitterness springing up. Allowing bitterness to dwell in your heart. It's like drinking poison day after day after day. It doesn't get better. You continue to do that and have that anger and festering with you, and it affects other parts of your life. Y'all got some plants or pecan trees out there, and you start pouring pine saw on the roots every day. How's that whole plant going to do? Is it just going to damage the roots? No, the whole thing. Right? It's bad. But not only that, it's not going to just trouble you, thereby many shall be defiled. You hurt others. You damage your walk and you damage the walk of others. Defiling means to be tainted, sullied, to be corrupted in a moral sense. You can hinder other people in their walk with the Lord based on how you're functioning. Because if, if, as we as Christ's followers right, declare, I'm a Christian, and yet I'm going around with a hard heart and bitterness and unforgiving, then I'm saying this is okay. Do we look like a city on the hill then? We don't. We look like the rest of the world. And that holy and high name of our God is sullied in our actions. It's not just about us. right? Sometimes we kind of get the idea that we're the sinner. We're just the servants. We're to look at the Master. What does He want? What has He told us to do? I don't know if you've ever been on a job and you were trying to make a decision between two things and you really didn't know what was right and your boss comes along and says, do this. He took the weight of the responsibility off of me. I may not fully understand why that's the one. And I may not even fully agree with it. And pardon me, maybe that's not right. And I don't understand how it's all going to work out. But He's told me to do it, and so I'm going to do it. And then the consequences are His, right? And so, if your boss has come along and said, forgive, you may not fully understand it, but because He said it, go ahead and do it. Trust Him with the consequences. Lord, I just don't feel like they're worthy of it. They're not! And neither were you. And if they're one of His children... 
that debt's already been paid for that you're trying to hold on to their head. And if they're not, and they're going to hate God eternally, then the Lord says, Vengeance is mine. He is a just God. He will repay. So debts are going to be paid. So you don't have to hold it over anybody. It's not up to you. We're not the judge. Okay? We're just the servant. So, forgiveness. What is it? <coughs> Letting go, releasing penalties or crimes, and showing unmerited grace and favor. Who deserves it? Nobody. But who receives it? Everybody. Even your worst enemy. When do we apply it? Now. <laughs> Now, right? Is there a limit? No. And the big kicker is why? Because as Christ died for you, and God forgave you, you've been commanded to do likewise. That's a good why. Ella will ask me, why do I have to learn this algebra? When am I going <coughs> to use this? Sometimes I have to strain to think of an example. It's really y'all use algebra very much? Uh, occasionally, but not much, right? And so I have to try and struggle to give them a good reason. The fact that Christ died for you and loves you and forgave you, that's a very, very, very good reason to practice what he's done for you. Besides the fact that he told you to. He's bought you, which He has. Body, soul, and spirit. You belong to God. He created you and then He bought you. Redeemed you from hell to be with Him in glory. Adopted you into His family. And now He said, these are the family rules. You're part of this family. Act like this family. We forgive. We pursue peace. Is this a high standard? Yes. Will you succeed every day? No. Do you stop? No. We continue. Draw close to the Lord. He'll draw close to you. So, forgive one another for Christ's sake. Thank y'all for your time and attention. Yep. Sure, we can sing.